0: I trust you're enjoying your Feast of Tabernacles here, 2008. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified, so we have a, a hint a pointing toward the future, and in verse four, we read about some of the, the, the what the future holds as the millennium begins, verse four, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. We read about cities, the reparation of, of cities, the, the establishment of, of cities and repairing the ruins. What will your city be like? If you have the opportunity to, to rule over, to have responsibility for, for a city, put yourself in that, in that mode, thinking about that. What would your city be like? What will your city be like? Will there be parks? Uh, what would industry be like? Uh, what, about, what about the size of the city? What would be the optimum size in your, in your mind? Uh, how about the transportation? What modes of transportation would you, would you use? What would the plans be for your city? I'd like to have uh, creeks and rivers running through a city if I have the opportunity to, to rule over and guide and, and, and establish a city and be able to rebuild a city. But what about you in terms of the, of the infrastructure? The infrastructure of, of, of a city is very important. There's a, a computer game that's called a Sim City, a simulated city where you actually select different uh, different uh, types of buildings and, and different parts of the infrastructure that you have control over, and it can be a lot of fun trying to design design a city. Now that's all good, but as we think about cities and rebuilding cities and, and establishing cities and what the components of cities would be, are we forgetting something? Because certainly that's important. Creating an infrastructure for for our environment that we're going to have in a city is is very important. But there's another part of the infrastructure that will be even more critical for our our new world. How will you build? What would the building blocks be for the society, the culture that that you and I help to rebuild? What are the building blocks that we'll use in that way, in rebuilding not just the physical cities, but in rebuilding a culture, rebuilding society. What are the building blocks that you'll use for do that to do that? What are the institutions that will that will be woven into the fabric of the culture and society if you have an opportunity to help in that way? How will you establish, for example, a system of education or a system of justice? How will you establish an economic framework for the city that you have responsibility over? Uh, will we use the models that, that have been created by, by man over the last thousands of years? Will you use the models of the cities and the, the, the society that we see a, a, around us today? Is that what will what we'll provide the models for our, our future cities? Well, not unless we want to repeat the same mistakes. What's the most important, most influential, most fundamental institution or, or component of society of any civilization? What is the what is the nucleus of society from which everything else emerges? If you're going to build a society, if you're going to be a, build a, a civilization, where will you begin? Well, let's look where, where God began. Let's look where God began. Take your Bibles. And turn back to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter two, we see a time. We can look back in time and see a time when God was was beginning to institute society. He was beginning to build a culture on this earth with the with the first humans. Where did he begin? Genesis chapter 2, we read here, and breaking into the whole context here, but we read verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, when God began to build a society, a human uh, culture, where did he begin but with the family. He began to build a family, saying to Adam and Eve that they were to build, establish a family. Let's talk about the family today, the family in relation to the millennium, because when God begins to build and and rebuild civilization, the place that he'll start is not just with the physical infrastructure, there'll be obviously work that will have to be done, but in terms of the culture, in terms of the the society, as far as, as building and rebuilding that, he'll begin with the spiritual organism, which is the family. The title for today's sermon is The Family, Force of the Future, Force of the Millennium. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, First of all, you do realize that there will be children in the millennium, I hope. Isaiah chapter 49. We read different scriptures Here in Isaiah 49 and you read here in verse in verse 19 uh, for your waste and desolate places and the land of your destructions talking about what what will what what the world will be like as the millennium begins and it will be a world where where destruction is is, is everywhere. We can read about that in the Bible and see what the future holds. Uh, it says your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. It talks about growth. It says, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. But then it says, verse 20, the children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, the place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. So we read about children being born. We read about children being part of of the society, part of the culture, part of the world. That, that will, will be the millennium, will be the world that, that we will look around, that we will be guiding, we will be helping, we will be, will be working with. Verse 21, Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me, since I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was, left alone, but these, where were they? So it gives a sense of the fact that children will be will be lost in in the tribulation and the horrible times between now and the beginning of the millennium, and it gives a sense of the of the of the mega death that will occur in the times between now and then, including children, including the suffering and, and loss of many many children. But he says, verse 22, there will be as we as we read in verse 19, 20, 21, there will be more children being born as the millennium begins. He says, behold, I will lift up my hand, lift my hand. And an oath to the nations, and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. So we read that children will be there, and children will be a big part of, of the millennium. And uh, it talks more about about that. Let's go a few chapters, a few chapters further in Isaiah to Isaiah chapter sixty. And again, we read, in fact, it's an interesting uh, study to look through here and all the times you read sons or daughters highlight it and you see as you do, you see it pops up again and again and again. Uh, For example, you see verse... Verse 4, and again, this is a, a millennial scripture, a millennial chapter. This part, it sets the, the stage for the millennium as we re- read about it. Verse 4, lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. It says, verse 5, Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. And and it goes on and talks more about about the blessings of of that day. But we see here in verse 9, for example, again, it says... Uh, the, the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar and uh, their silver and their gold with them. How will, this, how will this work? Will our children become ambassadors and princes that will be able to, to, to uh, talk about God's way and expand about, on God's way to different nations and travel around the world? Uh, our, our minds can begin to, to run rampant with where things will go, where, where the, what the future will hold, even in terms of the opportunities for our children. Uh, many, many uh, vistas may open up in terms of their ability to travel around the world being part, physically even, of of the millennium. Uh, He says, verse 10, The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls. So there will be many children, not just our children, but others who will be involved in, in rebuilding the millennium. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Of course, we couldn't skip this scripture, which is, which is important and uh, really we've, for, for many, many years, this, is, this has sort of been the, the theme uh, for our, the Feast of Tabernacles, even, uh, even for the church in the future, the, the, the vision that we have of the future as God's kingdom is established on the earth. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And it says, verse 6, and a little child shall leave them. Now, is this only uh, just some sort of symbolism of, of a different time and of who knows what? No, this is actually, this is actually a picture of, of the future. Little children will be part of it. And uh, he says, The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young one shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. The weaned child shall put his hand in the vipers' den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy, and all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Today, our children have to worry about being hurt, not only by, by perhaps uh, deadly animals, uh, but they have to be hurt. We, worry, we have to worry about them being kidnapped, or in some way uh, abused, or horrible things that can happen to our children today, as, as we see, on, unfortunately, on the news uh, every day. But in this time, society, the world that they live in, will be a world where there's safety, and there's peace, and there's security, even from, even from the animals. Now, is it any wonder that as God worked with the human families, we go back in the Bible, we're going to switch gears, painted a little bit of a picture of the, of the millennium, the future, and the fact that there will be children there. Now, let's, let's step back from that now and go back to the, the early pages of the Bible. I talked about Adam and Eve. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, is it any wonder that as God began to work with the human family, that he worked with individual families? Again, remember, we're reading about the establishment of the the early establishment of of society. Uh, We see here in, in Genesis chapter 6, for example, Genesis chapter 6, and you read here, in verse uh, verse 17, and behold, I myself. This is talking about the time of of Noah, and God called Noah, he worked with Noah, but he did not work with him uh, only. And he also, he also impacted his family because God understood the importance of estab- establishing not just a, an individual man, but a family to, to do the work that he had in mind after the time of the flood. He says, verse 17, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die But he says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And then it talks about animals and, and so on. So, we see here with Noah, as God, as God planned for the, the society and the establishment of, of a new world after the flood, after the world was, you might say, turned upside down. There was a, a recalibration of, of human society. As God was going to begin a new society, he began with, with a family. Uh, here in, in uh, Genesis chapter 18, as God began to work with, with Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, we flip forward a few A few pages here. Genesis chapter 18. Of course you read here about the promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, You can read here verse 11 of, of Genesis chapter 18. How Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And therefore Sarah laughed within... Herself saying, "After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, of my Lord, being old also?" In other words, we un- we understand this whole uh, this whole episode here is regarding their inability to have to have a, have a child. And God said, "No, I'm going to give you a child because He intended for Abraham to be the father of the faithful." So He says in verse 16. Now we read a little bit of a of a shift here. It's talking about uh, Abraham. Uh, interceding on behalf of, of, of Sodom. But I want to point out something here. He says, verse uh, 16, the men then rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. The, these angels who were going to go go on to Sodom. But he says verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. That's what God intended. That was who God's plan was. And and all the nations of the earth, he says, verse 18, shall be blessed in him. And then verse 19, he, God, God uh, uh, makes a statement here. Christ, of course, as, as the one who is directing Abraham here in the Old Testament, he says, for I have known him in order in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God fully intended that Abraham, as as the man who had been faithful to him, had proven, proven himself faithful up to this point, and he intended for Abraham to be the father of, of a faithful culture, a faithful society, a society where his laws and his instructions would be passed on from father to son, from generation to generation. Now, we can see as we go throughout the Bible that that there was a, a blurring and there was a loss of many of the, of the un, much of the understanding of God's of God's way, yet it was still there. Just like in our society today, although many people uh, don't have uh, don't truly know all of God's way, yet there's a basic understanding in what we call our Judeo-Christian society of of, of the existence of, of God and that he has laws and he has instructions and even a a respect in a a, a way for the bible obviously we understand that there's a there's a great lack in that regard but if you go to, uh, to Asia you go to China or you go to uh, many parts of the world, you talk about the Bible, they, don't, they have no idea of even the story of the Bible. Uh, you talk about who Jesus Christ was and you would ha- have to explain who he was and, and, and what, what, he, what he did and, and so on because there's no familiarity. But regardless, we see here in terms of, of Abraham that God intended for him to, have, to establish a family and part of the purpose was to establish within his family family. A culture where there would be an understanding of a respect and a faithfulness and, and an obedience to to God. Now, as we go throughout uh, through the next few pages, we come to Genesis, for for example, Genesis 48. Genesis 48, and we see now we see a different individual here, Jacob. Genesis chapter 48, and, and again, I might mention in terms of Abraham, if you. If you look back at Abraham uh, just briefly, at this point, uh, he had, did not have uh, his son Isaac yet. Uh, Isaac was not born yet at this point. So this was so- something that God was, was instructing, instructing and intending for Abraham to do going, going forward. It certainly couldn't uh, measure his uh, child-rearing skills from that point backwards because Isaac was not, was not born yet. Um, but we see here again, let's jump back to Genesis 48 with, with, uh, with Jacob. Uh, Genesis chapter 48, uh, we see here the first part of the chapter is in regard to uh, Jacob blessing the sons of Joseph. But, but we come to the latter part of the chapter here, and we see here even in, in terms of the blessing, uh, verse fifteen, verse 14, rather. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn and he blessed Joseph and said, verse 15, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, blessed the lads, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So there is the same sense of the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, now my God. With his, uh, his influence on, on, on me, Jacob was, was saying. With, his, with my faithfulness toward him. With me trusting in him to bring about my, a future for my, for my children. He's, he's referring to that here. So, the, as you go through these pages of Genesis, you, you can see that God, as he began to work with a, with a family that he had, he had chosen, he was beginning, the, you might say, the, the nucleus of, of a society. Within this within this family, now let's just flip, just flip back to Genesis chapter two because with that in mind, it's no wonder that from the very beginning, that Satan attacked the family so viciously. Let's go back to all the way back to Genesis chapter two. Uh, you read here. Just just uh, take a couple minutes here to see what Satan's response or what Satan's uh, attitude towards uh, towards the family is. Well, we see Genesis chapter two as. We just read here, verse 24, God said, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, they'll become they should become one flesh. We see that immediately here in chapter and we move to chapter three, that, that Satan the devil began to began to drive a wedge between Adam and Eve. That that nucleus of the family that was beginning, he began to drive a wedge between them and also between them and, and, and God. And you can read down here in chapter 3 through the story, obviously, of, uh, that you're familiar with, of Satan's influence and Satan's attempt to, to divide and to uh, so strife within, within the relationship between a husband and wife. Chapter 4, what do we see happen with the, first, with the first family? Well, verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord... And then she bore again his brother Abel. And as you read the account here, you don't have to read too many verses to see the conflict that we, we see set up between Cain and, and Abel. Uh, the very sad thing that in the very first family there was, there was hatred. And ultimately there was, there was even murder. How did that happen? Well, it happened early on because of Satan's influence to, uh, to push the family away from God. And we can see the results here in chapter 4 of this, the strife that was engendered. Now, if you flip forward to Genesis chapter 6, I read about Noah and how God uh, said that he worked with Noah and his family. Uh, here in Genesis chapter 6, what was happening in society here? Well, you can see Genesis chapter 6 and verse, and verse 1. It came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And daughters were born to them. It says that the the sons of God saw the daughters of man, that they were beautiful. And look at the key verse. We're not going to discuss all the ramifications and what was going on here in every aspect. But the point I want to make is, it says they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Well, we don't read about polygamy before this point. We we, we read back in chapter 2 that it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Now, wives... Uh, it makes it very clear that we are to have one wife. Yet we see here a contradiction because, because it says they took wives for themselves, multiple wives. What does that do? What would that have done to the family relationship? Well, I think we can, we can, only, we can only imagine. We see, every time we see uh, more than one wife in a family, there's, there's strife, there's jealousy, there's envy, and uh, it's not a, th- a healthy thing, and it's not, what's, uh, not certainly what was intended by, by God. Now, if you go forward again a couple more chapters in the Bible, in terms of what we see in regard to the family, as as the society of the ancients was was beginning to uh, was beginning to grow and be set up, here we see Genesis chapter 19. I say set up, it certainly wasn't a God setting up the society. Hum- humanity began to choose their own way to set up society, to set up the culture, set up the social mores. What we see here in Genesis chapter 19, we read about a, another uh, note of what society had become. And again, it, it, it is in relation to the family. And here we read about uh, the, the city of Sodom. And I'm not going to read the whole account of of uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you can, it doesn't take but a couple of three verses where you you read here verse 4, it says verse 4, Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. Here we see the uh, a, a picture of homosexuality. Now, what does that do to the family unit? Well, obviously, homosexuality tears apart the family. Homosexuality is not is not reproducible. Uh, homosexuality wars against the family structure that God set up, that God ordained from the very beginning. So, so we see here another uh, perversion of 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 the family. And uh, we have reaped the consequences throughout history of different perversions like this. Now, let's, let's go forward. We talked about the family uh, in terms of the, of the nation that God was building from a family from a very small point. Let's go forward to Exodus chapter 20. Because as God began now to work with not just a family, but a family grown large, a nation. What did God do? with the children of Israel, now the nation of Israel, as he began to establish them as a nation. Well, we can see that the laws and the judgments, the statutes that God, that God commanded, were intended to produce a culture. They were intended to produce a society that would reflect a way of thinking and a, and a way of acting as well. We can, we can see here in, in Exodus chapter 20 that, first of all, God gave instructions that would that would uh, uh, educate them and would give them very very clear guidelines and laws about how they were to relate to him as God. But he also, he also made it very clear as he began to give instructions regarding here in, here in the Ten Commandments, as he gave instructions regarding interaction between, between people, what was the first law that, that he gave them? Well, it related to the family. We see here verse verse 12 the fifth commandment honor your father and mother your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you what happens to a nation that doesn't honor its father that doesn't teach honoring father and mother what happens to the way of thinking in a nation that does not teach respect for father and mother well what happens is over time a respect for authority breaks down what happens is over time is that the older generation is not passing on the way to think, the way to live to the next generation. Instead, that next generation is saying, we want to make up our own ways of thinking. And the next generation, we want to make up our own ways of thinking. And we have no respect for the, the generation before. What happens to a nation that begins to follow that, that philosophy? Well, ultimately, it, the, only, the only place that it can go to is, is strife. And chaos, not learning from the nation, the, the, the lessons of, of the of the of the uh, generations before, it, it results in a lack of respect for the authorities of the land, and uh, it all it leads ultimately to the to the death of a nation. And you can look at some so do some studies on what may what has happened. Uh, the Roman Empire is a classic example of, of this of this principle. But uh, it's very clear that as a, na- a nation that does not teach a respect for its father and mother is, is doomed to, to destruction. Now, he says, he goes on and talks about other Interpersonal uh, laws concerning interpersonal relationships—not murdering, not committing adultery. Well, that one has to do certainly with uh, with the, the the family and, and marriage. Uh, we see here specifically verse 17. The tenth commandment talks about not coveting your neighbor's house, or it says you shall not covet your neighbor, neighbor's wife or his male servant, and so on. So we see here that the the family is 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 that we receive instructions about the family and how the family is to operate right within the, the Ten Commandments. Now, as you go throughout the book of Exodus and, and the book of Leviticus, you bump into other instructions in term, that God was gave in terms of setting up a society, establishing a culture, and many of those instructions actually relate to, to the family. Uh, let's go to, for example, Leviticus chapter chapter 19. Just picked a a few here. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 32, for example. We read, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. So it says, look, when you're with the older generation, of course, their, their primary contact with the older generation at this time was with their grandparents, with their great-grandparents, with their, with their family, with their uh, immediate and perhaps uh, secondary family. And it gives a principle of the respect, following up on, the, on what we read in terms of, of the commandments, respect for the older generation. Uh, we, we, we read other instructions. Leviticus chapter 18, if you look at Leviticus 18, you have a, a, a virtually a whole chapter that deals with, with sexual morality. And it talks about the importance of, of respecting father, mother, uh, of not having... Uh, sexual relations in the, m- among the family and all kinds of instructions regarding regarding the, the family and what's right and what's wrong within, within the family. It talks about uh, what happens, uh, how it's wrong to curse your father and mother. Again, reflecting a lack of, of respect for, uh, for the parents. Uh, we flip forward to Leviticus chapter 20 the next chapter going forward. And you read verse 10, it says, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulterer shall surely be put to death. We read in verse 13, it talks about homosexuality and and condemns homosexuality. Verse 14, again, talks about adultery and condemning adultery. And verse 17, again, talks about fornication and adultery. Why does it talk about these things? Because these are things that destroy the family. And if the family is destroyed, the the smallest unit of a civilization, if the family is destroyed, then ultimately the whole society comes down. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. You read here in verse 13, talks about, again, laws of sexual morality. I'm not going to read through the whole, the whole section here, but you can, you can read from verse 13, talks about uh, uh, fornication, down to verse 14, 15, 16, and so on. You come to verse 22. A man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, and both of them shall die, condemning, again, adultery. And even verse 25, talking about rape. And uh, what these things do to a family is, is simply tear apart the, fa- the fabric of a family, destroy the family, and therefore, and therefore they destroy, ultimately, they destroy a civilization. Uh, now, we, we look at these instructions. I've just scratched the surface with some instructions regarding the family that we have here that God gave to ancient Israel as they were establishing a culture and society. These will guard the family in the millennium. These same instructions, these same laws, statutes, and judgments will be the laws and statutes and judgments that will guard the family, that will build the family in the millennium. And you and I, we trust and hope, will teach those laws, will teach those ways. Can, can you imagine, if, if you think about the teaching of those laws and those ways, imagine what would happen to the world around us today if those Changes will be made in our world. What a difference would, would, would society, what society be? Can you imagine what our, our neighborhoods, what our homes, what our cities, what our nation would be, would be like if these were the the guidelines for living that everyone would would understand and everyone would, would obey? What would it do to our society? We'll turn, it would turn it upside down. Everything that we see on television, we see in our advertisement, we, see, we hear on the radio in terms of our music and, and, we, and the internet in terms of entertainment and, and articles and all the, everything around us that we see would be impacted. Virtually every TV program that constantly bumps into breaking these laws would have to be changed. Uh, it, it would simply turn our society upside, upside down. But you know what? There are other parts of society that will be different as well. Not just, let's say, the, the, the moral fabric, but there are other parts of society that will be different because the family will be, will be working. Now, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You see, God's way in the millennium will be taught primarily through the family I'll show you what I'm talking about here De- Deuteronomy chapter chapter six it's not simply let's say uh, laws concerning adultery or even respect for father and mother and that type of thing although those would be critical toward establishing attitudes and the way things function in terms of the family but there are other other aspects of society that a right family will, will move into for example Deuteronomy chapter six as I said Deuteronomy you know I mean? chapter six and verse five. We read here, verse five: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Understand, God when he when he talked about when he established his law, the primary means through which he expected Israel to, to learn about his law was through the family. The father and the mother were to teach their children. Now, the priests, the Levites, were to have a role in teaching, but in terms of, of the, at, the, at the lowest level, it was, it was instru- the, the fathers and mothers were to instruct their children. They were to be aware of God's law. It wasn't to be left to the priests and Levites to teach their children. They said, God said, you are responsible. And it says, you shall teach them diligently, verse 7, to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, your home. Who's responsible for the home? It wasn't the priests and the Levites. It was the family. It was the father and mother. It says, you're responsible to write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. You are to make them part of the fabric of the way you think as a a family. So, we see here uh, that was established. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, let's look at some different examples of other areas this will impact. How about the, how about the keeping of the Holy Days, for example? Will the priests go around and, around the land? Or will, uh, will we be responsible to go around the land when it comes time for the Days of Unleavened Bread, for example, and ring a little bell and say, it's time for the Days of Unleavened Bread, it's time for the Days of Unleavened Bread, and, and all the children come running out. Oh, so I never heard about that. Uh, what is that? Tell us, what is that? No. Now we see here in uh, here in Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, we read verse thirteen, You shall observe the feast of tabernacles seven days when you've gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter. The parents were to talk with the children and say, Look, it's time before long to go to the feast. I can remember over the years growing up how the, our parents encouraged us and reminded us and helped us prepare to think about the upcoming feast days. We would think about what we would do and the friends that we would see, the activities that we would that we'd be involved in. And it was an exciting time to look forward to the feast. But it was the parents who were responsible to to inspire the kids and get them excited about going to the feast. So he says, you shall rejoice in your feasts, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widower within your gates. Uh, so we see, we see a, a mention of, of the family's involvement. God's way, God's holy days will be taught first and foremost through the family. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, we read here that the law was to be read every, every seven years. Uh, Moses wrote this law, verse 9, delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing." gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, that they, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So again, the children were to learn God's way. The children were to hear about God's way. The children were to learn God's way through the the, the parents and and as well through the infrastructure, through the Levites, the priests, the king. Again and again we hear about God's way being taught. The first bastion of of that learning was the family, but it was to echo throughout the land. It was to echo again and again and again for the sake of of the next generation. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy uh, 21. Here's an aspect of, of society that will will actually will work through the family justice. Deuteronomy chapter 21, now we don't know every little ramification. We'll have to work with with society, work with cities and nations. The point I'm making here is that we find that the first, uh, again, the first bastion of justice has to do with the family. Parents won't say, look, I I have nothing to do with this. My kid, he's running around, let the police take care of it. No, Deuteronomy 21, we read about an obligation that the parents will have to instruct and even discipline their children. Here's the principle. It says, verse 18, if a man, verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 21, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey our voice he is a glutton and a drunkard. In other words, they were responsible to, to do everything they could to discipline, to work with, to teach, take responsibility for, the, for, their, for their children. Now, this is part of the justice system, you, you might say. And they were They were responsible. Now, it got to the point, if, if he was going to be a danger to society, if he was going to be a danger to the, the neighborhood around, and it was simply beyond their ability to, to handle, they were to take it to the next level. But it talk, the, the emphasis here is, is on parental obligation, parental responsibility for their children. It's a different world today. In so many ways, because parents have, have stepped away from the parental obligation, and in so many ways have said, no, it's not my obligation to teach my children, it's the schools, for example. It's not my obligation to uh, to care for my children, it's the daycare, it's the nursing, uh, nursing care. Uh, so, we see this, this is a different world, even in terms of Justice. And then we see verse 21 all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones so you shall put away the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear Now in the millennium what uh, what part will forget for will repentance play and will uh, how how will this function exactly in the millennium Uh, we'll have to to, uh, get counsel from Jesus Christ as to how to implement uh, these things. And obviously we're dealing with a a very carnal society here as we read about ancient Israel without access to God's Spirit as as we will have in the future. The point is, however, justice will begin and will be the responsibility first and foremost of the family. Let's go to Leviticus 20. uh, Actually, let's go to uh, uh, Deuteronomy 31. Let's just flip forward a couple chapters to Deuteronomy 31. And then we'll go to Leviticus. Touch on just a couple of chapters here that talk about economics in tomorrow's world. And what do we read? Deuteronomy chapter 31. Uh, here we, we we read here in verse, um, verse 10. Now we read... Uh, a little bit about in this section before, but I want to come to verse 10 with a little bit different emphasis. In verse 10, Moses commanded them, verse, verse 10 saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release. Now we read on, we read, it says at the Feast of Tabernacles, but it mentions this year of release. Let's go to Leviticus 25. Go back to Leviticus 25. There were laws, and we're not going to read through all the laws of, the, of economics uh, in the, tomorrow's world. There are many uh, laws and guidelines and principles that are given in the Bible that we can begin to learn about uh, what, what the, the economy will be like in the millennium. But the point I want to make here for today is simply, is simply the family's involvement in it, uh, especially. Leviticus 25 you read here, verse, verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. He says, You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the year, a year of rest for the land. So we begin to see that something different in terms of the economy in in tomorrow's world. Today's economy capital is, is vested not primarily in land, but is vested in 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 uh, materiel. It's invested in paper many times. When we look at the stock market, we look at, at the financial tools that, that are in existence today. Capital exists in this whole realm of the stock market and financial markets that, that is different from the way it will be in the future. In the future, in fact, the way, we, the way it is today, capital uh, for for example, we have families that will go from generation to generation accumulating vast sums of wealth through interest and when when there is a large sum of money that sum of money can accumulate much much more quickly and it can accumulate to the point where it's the, there's a weight of accumulation that takes that particular family far 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 above other families uh, in the nation that's why we have such a, a small percentage of our nation today and and this applies to to most nations there's a small percentage of the population that has the majority of the wealth but that's not going to be the way it's going to be in, in the millennium. Because in the millennium, capital will not be in, in, the, in the paper and in the financial markets. It's going to be in the land. And that land is going to be a way of, of ensuring that that will stay, uh, stay uh, so that it will be basically balanced across, across the culture, among the families, not through socialism or communism or, or that type of thing, but through the way the land is going to be administered. And how will that be administered? Well what will be the, the mechanism through that through through which the land will be will be maintained it will be the family it won't be through a lottery system. Who gets this piece of land now? Who gets that piece of land now? And some sort of a, a strange lottery or maybe through a, a leader or a president. Today, uh, you think about the Soviet Union, for example, and how the Soviet Union functioned and how, how le- wealth was distributed among peoples and what the corruption that it led to and the bureaucracy and the cronyism that it led to. Is that going to be part of, of, what, of the, tomorrow's world? No. We read that here, for example, verse 8, continuing on about in terms of the handling of the land, he says, You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the Day of Atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to its inhabitants. Why will it be liberty? Well, because we read how, verse continuing, "...it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession." How will those possessions be be indicated? How will we know what possession we're talking about? Well, it's because land will be distributed by family. Families will have the opportunity to retain, to go back to the inheritance that was part of the family, family from generation to generation. Perhaps, Perhaps a family member might have made very unwise decisions... And, and, uh, and as a result of that, sold parts of the land, not been able to use parts of the land. Maybe they uh, had, uh, had a difficult time with a, a particular year in terms of the crop or, or what have you. Uh, God's law was, was established so that once every 50 years, which is roughly once in a lifetime, every, everyone would have the opportunity, if necessary, to have a fresh start. If you look at our, at our economics, the history of economics, roughly, and there have been books written about this, but roughly every 50 years, there is an in, t- t- typically in terms of economy. Sometimes that's, uh, that, is, that is adjusted by other factors, but if there's not, there's a book that talks about cycles, it's called, it's called Cycles of War. And, and if there's not some type of a major disaster that upturns and changes the economy, uh, oftentimes it comes as a result of war or conflict. And uh, it bec- it's a, there's a natural cycle within economics, and it, it, you, can, you can study it and see how there is even been charted, that there's an upheaval in, in, uh, in economies roughly every 50 years, which When we think back, about 50 years for us was around the time of of World War II, and uh, there was a a great upheaval in, uh, of course, time of World War II, and roughly a little bit before that, back to the Depression. And um, uh, we can see what's happening in the economies around us today, and uh, there's a lot of of suspicion and worry and cynicism about our economy today. But uh, that's another story. Here we see... It says, verse 11, "...that fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field." And verse 13, "...in this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession." Again, the the nexus of of economic stability, of capital, was the, the land. It was the land. Now some might say, well, it's because it was simply only an agriculture in, agricultural environment at that time. and It will be different in the future. Well, uh, time will tell, and, and uh, I, I'm, I believe that this, even in terms of agriculture, will have a greater part to play in local agriculture in the, in the future than it does today. We see all kinds of problems when agriculture gets... It's where we end up having a produce from the other end of the country and the resources that it takes to, to, to move it from one end of the country to the other and all kinds of problems that result. Regardless, these are the principles that God laid out as He established a society. He says, in this year of Jubilee, verse 13, again, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of the year of years after the jubilee you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish, diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. In other words, this is going to be a permanent fixture in in the economic system. According to what we read here, if we follow the same pattern, and we have a, it's a template for the future. Maybe not exactly in every way, but it is a template for a stable society. He uh, it says that uh, this is going to be a, a permanent way of thinking in terms of the economy that things that particularly land, capital of land will be bought and sold according to how many years to the Jubilee. So it will be that will be that will be reckoned with. He says, therefore, verse seventeen, therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Many people recognize today that our society and our economic economic system is not fair and it's not it's not equitable. It's not just but people don't, nobody knows how to fix it. And every attempt that we have made to fix the economic system in our, in our societies, as, as mankind has, has built societies, has, has ended in, in failure. We build a, a system to assist those who are poor and those who are needy and we turn into a welfare system by whereby some of those who are poor and needy end up dependent upon it to the point where they expect it and all kinds of, 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 uh, of evil results from, from that. We've turned our nation and then we, we end up with an economy that that is uh, based on on a handout from the government, which is also very destructive. Every attempt of mankind to create a just and equitable society has ended in failure, and our current our current example is no different. When God began to work with a nation or family grown large, He gave a lot of instruction that was to be was to be used to create a, a model of a family, was to create a healthy and happy family was to be but it also these instructions were to impact the nation when there is respect for the father and mother then there is respect for authority within within the nation when there is sexual purity taught through the family then the nation is a, a moral nation and then the nation is a sexual sexually pure nation which creates again then sound families and and a, a repetition of the cycle when there is economic stability through the family, through fair and equitable means of, of possessing the land and resources and capital, then there is economic stability in the, in the nation. When families teach their children to uh, the, the, the importance of, of discipline and governance within the family, then the nation then understands the, the principles of, of government. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are not the obligations of the, of the government. These are not the obligations of the schools. Not even the obligations, frankly, of the church. The church is not responsible today as the, as the primary, uh, primary, uh, let's say, uh, uh, means of teaching of teaching children. We're each responsible for our own children in terms of their, of terms of their behavior and, and caring for them, nurturing them, teaching them, instructing them, helping them. We can't say it's not our problem. It's the church's problem. We can't say, oh, it's our problem. It's the school's problem. We can't say it's not our problem. It's the government's problem. No. We're responsible. Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 6. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we read here in verse 5 again. He says, we're, re- we're rereading what we read here a little while ago. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently. You, you and I, today. And we're going to teach the families of tomorrow, the families of the millennium, to to take these things to heart. And we're going to recreate, we're going to rebuild, we're going to establish a culture and a society that is completely different from our society around us today by saying these same words to the parents of the future. We're going to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, as as we, as we look at what I've rehearsed here in terms of God's instructions for the future, based upon the template of the past, we need to ask ourselves then. We need to ask ourselves, do we understand? Do we implement these guidelines ourselves? Because it's going to be very hard to, to teach them if we don't understand them ourselves. We may say, well, God's going to give me all that knowledge and I'll just take it from there. Uh, okay, maybe He will. But that doesn't abrog- give us the opportunity. It doesn't abrogate our responsibility to do everything we can to, to follow the instructions today and be the type of people today... That we're going to teach about tomorrow. No, we have to do everything we can to fulfill this, this this pattern. What is the state of the family today? What's the state of the family for you and for me? Do we teach uh, respect for, for parents? Do we teach respect for authority? Uh, do we teach along our, with our children? Do we teach and, and in, do everything possible to guard against uh, sexual promiscuity? To guard against the influence of... Of, uh, of immorality, sexual immorality that's so prevalent today in our world. What are we doing? Do we teach the, the proper roles, the God-given roles for husbands and wives? Do we teach that men are to be the leaders of their home and take responsibility to lead and cherish and guide and, and be the strength and, the, and the, the pillar of their home? Do we teach that, that mothers are to care for their children, are, are, are responsible for their children. Can't, can't leave that duty to the daycare or to, or to the schools, but have the responsibility to be the, the, the bastion, the bulwark of, of values within in terms of teaching their children, passing those, those on, and, and, and give them the, the strength that they need to be able to, to, to navigate the years of childhood and, and, on, and teenage years as well. Let's look at just a couple scriptures that that give us some guidelines here as we we just apply it to ourselves. It's easy to make to think about the future and and let it go at that. But what about what about today? Let's just look at just a couple of three scriptures that will, I hope, challenge you to to swim against the tide in terms of of uh, how we function today. Let's go to Titus chapter two. Titus Chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, we read here verse 1, and these are instructions. The Bible has instructions that are for today as well as for yesterday. He says, Titus chapter 2, Paul says to to Titus, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, be reverent, be temperate, be sound in faith, in love, and in patience. "...that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things." Women are to, talks about in, in particular in this case, the older women, are to are bear responsibility to teach and encourage the younger women in particular. He says, verse 4, "...that they admonish the young women to love their husbands." He says, "...to love their children." The children are to be a priority." Not a, a hassle, not a pain, not something that has to be, that is, is, is difficult to deal with. How many women today, when, when summer vacation comes to an end, say, whew, tired of dealing with my kids, have had to deal with them too much here, I, I'm ready to send them back to school, because they're a pain. And how many of them uh, don't don't look at, upon as as a, a wonderful, the most important thing that they can do in their life is to be able to is to be able to guide and strengthen their children, help their children to become become a part of God's of God's family, and to have God's they have the strength they can they can have from an, a, a, a proper education in God's ways. Instead, look at them as as uh, as something to be put up with, or dealt with, and, and then shipped off to, as I said, daycare or the schools. Uh, how, many women chair, how many women today, and men for that matter, as the leaders of their families, cherish their children. You know, we can, the things that we do in our life, I think we kid ourselves if we, if we feel as if our greatest uh, accomplishments are going to come in all kinds of different areas in terms of our climbing some type of career ladder. Uh, look, if um, if I'm the CEO of of a major company, and then I'm I'm let go, uh, do you th- how long do you think the compatriots in the office, how long do you think the company is going to remember me? Probably till next week, or the week after, maybe next year, possibly. We we have a a false understanding of the way things work, if we think that the things that we can do in terms of climbing corporate ladders and careers uh, are the greatest thing that we can do in our life. It's not so. It's not so. The greatest opportunities we have are in dealing with our children, or perhaps if we're not if we're not married and, and, co- and, and coaching and encouraging and being being a help and a strength to other other parents who have children who we can who we can work with and assist and encourage. Are, are we have a great opportunity in terms of of being able to mold the next generation, and that's not something that's held very high in today's society. But he says, verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their children, to love, to love their husbands and their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, builders of the home. It's not honored today. That role is not honored today. But that's what we're going to teach in the millennium. That's the role that we're going to teach in the millennium as an honored, a cherished, uh, a highly respected role that women have the opportunity to take a lead in, with leadership skills that, they, that they're they required to exercise in this role. It says, verse uh, 5 again, uh, Obedient to their husbands, uh, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. You know, Men have the responsibility, as we read through the Bible, in terms of the husband's responsibility in the family. It can be a very sobering thing. It's a whole, it's not, it's a whole lot more fun, perhaps, to not have family obligations. Uh, men would just as soon go out and go fishing or, or playing basketball or whatever it might be, doing other things with their buddies. But God says, no, your priority is to be with your family, to make that, impor- make that of high importance, to train your children, to help uh, support your wife and encourage your wife and that's why so many wives uh, actually are not do not feel honored in the, in the role of a home builder, homemaker and home builder is because their husbands don't honor them in that role And that's a, that's a sad thing that's not a, a right thing at all. Well we we've just, we've just touched on a little bit our, where we are today and there's a lot more that could be, could be said in terms of our study, And how of of God's model for the family and how it impacts us and what we do, but the point is this: in terms of the future, let's go to let's go to Isaiah chapter 49. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, and we think about the future. What do we think about? Do we think about cities that we'll build? Do we think about buildings and rivers and parks and and transportation? we think about all those things? It's wonderful to think about. I love thinking about those things. I I dream of what I will do in order to to, to rebuild a city that is is in the model I have in my mind of what the ultimate city would be like. I, I can't wait for that day. But even more importantly... More importantly than the physical infrastructure is the spiritual, the social, the cultural infrastructure. And that's something that we will be responsible to build. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. And we read here verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth. That's what Christ is going to do. God gave gave him, is going to establish him as king of the earth to establish a society, a civilization on the earth to cause them to inherit the desolate villages that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be in all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst. Neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them, even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. God talks about government mountains as as, as a as a, a representation of, of government. The smallest element of government that God will use as a means to teach about his government as the, as the, as the, that will spread around the whole earth will be the family. And our challenge is to understand God's model for the family so that we can be implements in God's hands as he establishes that new culture, that new society that will ultimately spread throughout the whole earth, beginning with the family.